Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat Marshall 41-20. to We're going bowling, Robbie. How you feeling? I feel great. I'm uh, I'm pretty excited. My worst fears about what could have happened uh, that we joked around about did not come to fruition, and that is a positive for all parties involved. So Absolutely. I feel great. Give us a cheers, man. Well, let's just make it easy and hit the uh, the two big numbers. Uh, the fifteen being the uh, the the streak against UVA now, uh, obviously in the books. But then the team came together against Marshall and followed it up to make it twenty six years in the bull streak as Florida State got knocked out after their unofficial thirty six years and uh, with a five and seven season. So we are now officially the longest bull streak in what was probably. Uh, the most unlikely uh, circumstance that we've seen in a while of having to come back and make it happen. And uh, the team pulled together, and they did it, and they did it in a pretty uh, incredible fashion in that game. So cheers to to everybody involved. We're going streaking. Cheers. Twenty six straight bowls. Something we definitely didn't think we'd see after the Miami game, and I. For one, you know, the recruiting impact of that is probably a little overstated, but I still think it's very important. And there someone put up a post on TKP about it too, and I kind of agreed with what they had to say is that like, yes, everyone goes to a bowl, so it's not like a huge accomplishment. There's 80 teams or something going to bowls. However, if you don't go to one, then it's like, well, everyone's going and you're not going, so how bad must you be? <laughs> yeah, it's uh <laughs> not making one is the most detrimental part. It's not even the necessarily the success of making it uh, now. It's, you know, Florida State under, uh, you know, that does not look good going five and seven. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. And it's great that we are the longest now because it's just, it's just something else to say to a recruit. You don't have to sell them on like, hey, we want to get back to, you know, a bowl or whatever. It's like, no, we want to get back to win the ACC. And we, we're currently on this streak, and there's not this huge hill to climb. We just need you to take the next step back up, you know. So it, it's it's definitely good for the recruiting and things to say to the, to the guys and you know put out for social media. And I, for one, am pumped about the location too because we're going to the Military Bowl. We're going to play Cincinnati, and we can touch on that a little bit later. Uh, it's close. It's going to be full of Hokies. I went a few years ago, and it was a blast. It was probably like the warmest December day ever, and we beat Cincinnati in the Military Bowl in, what, 2015? Mm. So i kind of been there, done that, but it was a great experience. They sell beer in the stadium. I bought tickets. I'm going. I'm, I'm excited about it. I forget what the stat was, but it, they said it was one of the fastest um, that they had sold their kind of allotment or something like that, or most ticket sales, I think, in the first day, or I think it was. Maybe That's what it military, was, yeah, yeah, the yeah. most ticket sales in the history of the Military Bowl in yeah. one day or whatever. Yep. So obviously uh, we're not the only ones that are excited and um, I, I wish it wasn't Cincinnati. I would have liked to have a different opponent, um, but um, yeah, we can get into that in a little bit. News and notes. The Virginia Tech basketball team beat Central Connecticut State 94-40 to in their most recent game. Ahmed Hill bounced back big time from his dismal performance against Penn State. Put up 24 points and six of nine from three. 
I mean, come on, Ahmed. Couldn't you give us one three in the last game? <laughs> I mean, all we needed was one basket. We might have been able to beat Penn State. But yeah. the team as a whole shot 54.5% from three, and we dropped a couple spots to 15th in the AP poll. I was surprised. Um, I I think people looked at it as a one-point loss against a good Penn State team that has a couple losses that, um, you know, they're, they're good. And... Since then, we've done uh, we've done and handled our business, and the ninety four forty route of Connecticut State was uh, that's no small task. the The defense that we're putting out there, I think, is almost even more impressive than anything else. I mean, the offense is fantastic, but we've had high scoring offenses early in the season in past years. Um, normally, we have not had this level of defensive play, regardless of opponent. It's true they they are clamping down on defense. And I will say Penn State just lost to Indiana tonight. I was checking my phone. So that's their fourth loss of the season now for Penn State. A solid team and a road loss, but it's starting to uh, – let's let's hope it doesn't come back to haunt us later in the season. But that's that's a side note. Tenth and Ken Palm. So we have, still haven't suffered in the advanced stat rankings that uh, uh, Kenneth Pomeroy puts out. Uh, it's a little lofty. I'm sure we're not the, the 10th best team in the country. I'm I'm virtually positive, but <laughs> I'll take the ranking. Yeah. I'll, I'll take it for now. We play VMI tomorrow, which is Wednesday, and South Carolina State on Sunday. And the following week is when we actually play a real team again, which will be Washington in Atlantic City. And Washington is currently sitting at 52 in the Ken Palm. So that's going to be a test for sure. But VMI... South Carolina State, Connecticut State, like these teams stink. Like they're not they're not very good. Ninety four forty is still impressive. That's almost, scoring almost a hundred and holding a team to seventeen points in the second half. That's it's it's nice, but it's not a good team. Like we want to see us tested. So I'm looking forward to the Washington game. Next thing I had was Frank Beamer is getting inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame tonight, Tuesday night, December fourth. Bud and Wiles, they tweeted out a picture of them both in uh, in suits and ties, and it's just funny to see two gruff defensive coaches wearing, like, tuxes. It's hilarious. And Beamer was killing me with his black – he went black tie, actual tie, not, like, black tie. And then, like, the knot was about the size of my pinky, and it just <laughs> – like, I was like, man, he's uh, – He didn't have, like, the, the double Windsor going? No, he, he – it was it was very, very thin. So it was it was funny, though. But, yeah, congrats to him, obviously. Yeah, we knew the Hall of Fame induction was coming. Uh, I felt like I kept hearing about it and kept hearing about it, and but tonight's actually the night. So we could never say enough about what Frank did for the program, and it's awesome to finally see him honored in this way. The next thing we wanted to go to was the coaching carousel in the ACC in particular. A uh, couple hires, a couple fires. What do you got on your end? Uh, so Larry Fedora got uh, got ousted. That was a that was a little while ago, but then we got the surprise news that everybody's been waiting for for years and years about Paul Johnson. So I thought that was extremely interested. You have UNC, Georgia Tech, um, both in the coastal. Uh, UNC, who knows? And you know they could get a recruiting boost based on whoever they end up, um, you know, kind of uh, going with there and who they bring in. Um, from assistance and so on, but there's going to be a lot of shakeup in the, in the ACC, and that includes, um, you know, what Louisville's trying to do after Bobby Petrino uh, was let go, and what they were trying to get and make happen, which was Jeff Brom. 
coming right. in from Purdue was their hope, and that fell through. I would say that I think they're they're call it a backup, whatever you want. Obviously, they were very vocal that they wanted Jeff Brown. Um, was uh, they got Scott Satterfield out of uh, Appalachian State, who has done a fantastic job with that program and really built them up. So I think that overall, uh, it's been an interesting kind of move so far in the ACC. And I, I don't know that there's that much more to come, um, but that's also in addition to ECU and what's happened with uh, <laughs> that whole situation with Scotty Montgomery, which we all saw coming. Yeah. In terms of the impact on Virginia Tech, the ECU hire of Houston from JMU is going to have an impact on us because we still have a few games on the schedule against them, though that's a little bit up in the air right now. But Paul Johnson retiring, in terms of immediate impact, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As long as they don't go out and hire another triple option coach, I think even if they go out and get a, a, a very good coach in our eyes, adjusting the personnel to a new scheme, just not having to deal with that on defense for Bud once a year, which is is difficult for all the teams to kind of manage. It's nice. It's nice to get rid of it. Everyone is celebrating on Twitter when they said he announced his retirement. And to me, retirement, I, I, that seems like a forced retire to me. I, I don't think Paul Johnson is the kind of guy who just wants to stop being a football coach. Like It would shock me if he's done coaching. Yeah, I. I but I think they let him stay on for – I mean, listen, it was, you know, they won, they won the Coastal four years 25th, ago? Four, four 2014, years. yeah. Yeah, so they're not that far removed from the 10-win season, and, you know, he always kind of comes out and, and bites some people. Uh, I think I think it was known to him that they wanted him to move on, and he was picking his time to, to do it. They I think they would have kept him around. If they hadn't already kept him around for another year, they probably would keep him on for another year. And it was probably just the time, um, you know, you know, he's getting up there. Yeah. And I, uh, I'm just happy. I'm just happy. He's gone fedora. You know, that the writing was kind of on the wall for that. We knew that was going to be happening for a couple weeks and UNC went in the tank. They've had different suspensions and injuries the last two years, but his commentary after the NC state fight, his commentary on CTE, he's he's just seems like too much of a loose cannon at this point and he's also not producing on the field so i i would say that the exception was the year that they won the coastal for unc and not like oh that's what the new top end is and remember when that happened people were saying like he could go to lsu you know he was he was gearing up for a better job and now he's fired three years later it's you know the true colors usually get shown is what ends up happening. The longer you stay somewhere, you better level up because the longer you stay, if you're not, if you're punching above your weight, it's going to come out. Yeah. Satterfield, I agree with you, is, is a great hire. He won the Sun Belt because, you know, after they moved up to FBS a few years back, I think 2014 was their first year in the Sun Belt. They've won the last three conference titles. So mm-hmm. they, they're, they're real good. They give Penn State a real run for their money in week one this year. We play Louisville in 2020. So maybe he won't be all the way revved up in that program yet because there is a lot of disarray. The AD and the whole athletic department is, is it's um it's <laughs> they've had issues to put it lightly. So we'll see how they uh, get going because I think we go to Louisville in 2020 for a game. That's going to be interesting and see how Satterfield has him going then. In terms of what affects us, that's about it, I guess. 
Well, and Cliff Cliff Kingsbury not being anywhere near us is always good because <laughs> nice. yeah. nobody expected him to take a college OC job, period. That kind of got wiped off the table. He did take a college OC job, which most people joked around about him going to UNC. UNC is not USC. Let's just no. be very, very clear he didn't, there. He didn't take just any college <laughs> OC job. He, he's moving to LA. He gets to run the USC offense and all their four and five stars. That's, I mean, that's as close as you can get to the NFL without being in it. And if he loves college football, then that better suits him than going and being the OC of the Browns or something. Yep, I, I agree. So just keep him away from us because he's going to do really, really well there. Just the last little nugget I had is it seems like our coaches are out on the recruiting trail for JUCOs. Uh, there's been a, a lot of tweets about it and some whispers on websites and stuff that, you know, they're out there hitting like every community college in Kansas trying to find defensive linemen. We've got the fear of uh, Doorless, one of our D-line commits, flipping to Florida, and so we have an extra spot there to fill. We've got at least one defensive tackle coming to Tech next weekend to check out the university who's a JUCO kid. I I'm praying that one of these DTs – decides to come to tech because even if they're not a four-star caliber or whatever we we just need the guys to take snaps that's what we're going to need next year i think we just yeah at this point it's less about uh i know there's a lot of opinions about juco and how successful they are at the you know the next level when they finally make that move at this point we need bodies yeah. I, I think honestly um and capable kind of uh People that are not fresh out of high school, like not new recruit bodies, like you need well-developed guys that at least have some muscle mass and then can get in there just to, to kind of give us some depth when we need it. Right now, it's it's relatively... I mean, looking for thin. next year, it's Burke, it's Hewitt, and it's Porcher. Look, those are the three guys that we can rely on for, for consistent snaps. I'm not even saying their top end is like amazing. You're not going to get Ricky Walker level play necessarily about any of those guys. Hewitt's made strides he's he's good but burke is still fairly new to the position and porcher just moved to that position from defensive end earlier this year out of necessity so it, it, those are the three there's a few other guys on the roster and we got kendricks and pollard coming in but obviously we lost cam good we haven't recruited the position particularly well it's it's an issue and so getting a defensive tackle juco recruit would make the difference because like you said you're hitting the ground running. You're not, you know, you're not lifting weights for the first time in your life like so many of these 18-year-old kids do sometimes. Yeah, and the the skills are not going to be there. It's not going to be what Bud Foster, Charlie Wiles is expecting of the defensive line right away. But at least the size is there so that you can move over to mechanics. Uh, hopefully the size is there. We're recruiting <laughs> right. guys that are in good shape that have good size and you're you're immediately trying to just start working on mechanics with them. I'm not saying that it's going to work, but Nobody can sit there and look at the depth that we have right now and feel comfortable. So we need to do something. And and I do think the effort is absolutely being put in. From everything I've read and seen online, like the coaches are trying their damnedest to get someone in the door. So at least we can say that. Let's do the game recap. <laughs> 15 minutes in, let's get to this puppy that got us to a bowl because I wasn't sure how this was going to play out. I, again... I felt good as the week went on that like more to the notion that the UVA game woke us up a little bit 
And it was clear, I think, that Marshall wasn't ready to play. The first play of the game, Ricky Walker got the sack fumble. Garbett recovered. That led to a field goal. And even though we didn't get the touchdown on that drive, didn't you kind of think, like, this has a different feeling to it? Yeah, I did. And um, and not even so much there just because I was worried, and I think you and I talked about, of the, of the defense more so than their offense. So I didn't draw any kind of hasty conclusions at that point. But, you know, we'll get into the, the rest and how my mind started to change pretty quickly on that side of the ball as well. The next drive for Marshall was better than a sack fumble on the first play, but it still ended in a turnover with a Bryce Watts interception in the end zone. He made a really nice play on the ball on that one. We subsequently took it 80 yards on eight plays, scoring on the 46-yard pass to Grimsley, and Willis really hit him right in stride. (laughs) That made it 10-0. Yeah, his passes were, um, well, that was the first, let's just put it, of a, a number of amazing passes and um, I will remind you about my comment of the uh, on Twitter about the pocket collapsing because uh, the pocket yeah. was getting murdered in a lot of situations. So um, you know, put that in the context of what you know he did for the day is also important. Marshall got on the board next with the TD, five straight rushes, including the sixty-seven yard to Bernox. That made it ten to six. They missed their extra point. Willis answered with the long TD pass to Trey Turner. That was the 45-yard pass, and that's the one you're talking about with the collapsing pocket and the awareness and the step to the side and then a perfect dime pass to Turner in the end zone. An amazing play by Willis on that one. Yeah, and he didn't, you know, when previously he was scrambling a lot more, at least in the game against UVA, outside of the pocket. He just basically bailed on it. In this game... I think the defensive line for Marshall was actually even better, but he was he was stepping into it rather, which what the pros always say they're like step up, don't step back. You know, when you step back, you get destroyed. Um, and in a couple different instances, that was the first of which that really jumped off um, me watching it. That he he did that. We scored two more times before the half. The first one was on the short dump pass to Peoples, and the last one before that was the perfect sideline pass to Kuma. And Kuma made a great play on the ball too. But in all those ones, like Willis was dealing. I mean, they they were perfect. Like they were in the perfect spot almost every time. His play overall wasn't perfect, but the passes that he completed for touchdowns, and he could have had another one to Grimsley in the third quarter that would have been a TD. They were all perfect. That was a perfect pass to Grimsley. And Grimsley admitted as much. He said, I just got too excited and, you know, I just – he said, I tried to move upfield. It wasn't much that upfield because the pass was at the one-yard line, and it was a perfect pass, hit him right in the hands, and oh, that hurt because that would have been his fifth touchdown. Yeah. We got a field goal on that drive instead. Marshall scored a touchdown to start off the fourth. I mean, it's it's basically over at this point. That was the, the pass from Green to Gaines. A bit of indifference from the defense throughout the entire second half. The rest of the fourth quarter was boring. We put up a lot of backups uh we put a lot of backups in the game holston did score on the long run after staying on his feet nice little play for him 41 to 13 at that point and marshall added one more garbage time touchdown to make it 41 20 the final it was a little bit odd defensively i think because we were up by a lot and and they got key stops i'll say for the defense but they there was like the the rushing d was 
not very good. We gave up a ton of yards to Knox, uh, but they they did seem to rise to the occasion at times. Yeah, I, I would agree. You know, starting you know on the defensive side, there was issues here and there. They ended up putting up some good pressure, but we only got one sack in the game. I mean, and there wasn't really much in terms of tackles for a loss, so it was okay. But we kept Green to nineteen for thirty-four, two hundred and twenty yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Like that, just kind of call it a day on that side of the ball. Brendan Knox gashed just a few times. Really, that sixty-seven yard run, though, he did have two TDs and two hundred and four yards total. But you take out the big run which we're prone to. Nobody's going to doubt that. And he averaged 5.3. Stephen Peoples averaged 5.5 a carry. Uh, so it was you know, not great. It also wasn't as bad as we've seen and not as bad as the 7.6, I think, yards per, uh, per carry that uh, was out there. We forced a fumble. We forced an interception. Ashby continues to impress. 19 tackles. He's amazing. And I've been high on him all year. And then... Um, Dax did did pretty well in the game and at least kept the energy up. So it was not stellar. It was kind of okay, but it um, it was enough to keep us uh, in good shape in the game. Yeah, I think you hit everything I had. I had Ashby with 15, but nine were solo. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Either way, he had a great game. Dax had nine. We've said enough about the linebackers. We'd like to see the run D tighten up a little, but again, we took that big lead and... This is the only knock I'll say about the offense before we talk about the good stuff they did was that they let their foot off the gas. And I saw the same thing with the defense is that just a little bit of like, we're going to win. Everyone knew we were going to win at halftime. And the second half was kind of mailed in. But that first half offensively was our best of the season. It was our best half of any half of the entire year. Four touchdowns, 31 points. Willis was putting the ball right where it needed to be every time. 7.1 yards per play for the game. That was our highest since the ODU game. And if we want to go right into what Willis did, I mean, he he had 75% completion, four touchdowns, and a 291 rating in the first half. Yeah, it like, was It's an absolutely preposterous rating. Yeah, he looked fantastic. And... We went deep, and they called a game that they were not going to back down off of. And, you know, Brad was getting a ton of heat. Everybody was getting a ton of heat. And they came into the game, and they were like, screw it. We're just going to go deep with the ball, and we're going to get people, you know, in positions that they they can make a play. And they did it with everybody. Trey Turner, everybody wants to talk about because he's awesome and he's continuing his amazing season. Three receptions for 99 yards. <laughs> Three receptions for 99 yards and a TD. But then Grimsley had two receptions for 64 yards. Kuma had four for 63. McLeese had two for 57. I mean, these are astronomical um, kind of numbers in how deep. I can't. I didn't run the QB stats before this. I wish I had and had time to because they're going to be off the charts in terms of number of attempts, I think, and or at least number of completions downfield in comparison to any other game. I would argue probably in the last three years um, it's going to be up there. So I'm excited when I start running the numbers and, and taking a look at what it, what it, what it shows. Yeah, because all of the TD passes, uh, except for the one to Peoples, were fairly long, um, 40, 45, 33 yards and he had the uh 
the nice pass that went a long way to McLeese as well that didn't go for a touchdown. And to to do four touchdown passes to four different receivers, that that's that's pretty unique in and of itself. I wanted to go back to just Willis in general and to talk about the TD numbers on the season because he's currently sitting at third in Virginia Tech history for most in a season. That's behind Tyrod and Gerard Evans. Evans has the most at 29, but keep in mind, Evans played 14 games. Tyrod also played 14 games. So in a per-game basis, depending on how you want to classify Willis, because he didn't play the whole ODU game, he didn't play the whole William & Mary game, and neither did Josh. No one was going to play that whole game because it's we were killing them. But if you want to say Willis played 10 games, you know, because he didn't play FSU and you add up the other two he played half of, that's 2.2 TDs per game in, in the air, you know, TD passes. Well, that's already higher than Tyrod, and it will be higher than Gerard if he manages to throw two or three touchdown passes next week, or in the bowl game, I should say. So in terms of passes through the air, he he put up numbers. Um, he's still not making the right checks. He's still not making the right reads. He's missing calls coming in from the sideline. He's not recognizing the zone, but he has strengths, and the staff has done a much better job at scheming to those strengths the last two weeks. Yeah, I couldn't uh, couldn't agree more. And you know, it, they did the. It, it, granted, it, it was Hale put out the blind test A versus B stats uh, with him and uh, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, and they were almost identical and everything. That said. Clemson is defaulting, I'm sure, and I haven't looked into it a lot more to the run game and their strength on that side of the ball as well. Whereas our we're managing to get some run, but mostly we're having to go to the air. So we're kind of defaulting that way. You know, that's like comparing a you know, a Big Ten team to uh, you know, an SEC Arkansas when they used to run the ball, you know, like crazy. So the the stats are a little bit skewed, but it really hasn't been, it hasn't looked pretty. You can tell what he's, you know, uncomfortable. You can tell he's making the wrong reads. You can tell when he's scrambling and he shouldn't be because he should be more confident or the wide receivers aren't getting open, quite frankly. And, you know, but overall he was productive and he has been productive. So it's been an interesting, weird thing to look at statistically. Yeah. And whether he's improving or the coaches are improving the the offense as a whole is improving and and that's a credit to Cornelson who we've beaten up a little bit a lot of people have beaten him up this year and 34 points against UVA 41 points against a good Marshall defense he deserves credit for adjusting to his quarterback it might have taken him longer than it could have to 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 you know decide what you're going to do with Willis because you, you need to see like, okay, he's not getting it. Whatever you need him to do, he's just not getting it. So adjust. And it seems like they've started to do that. And that's what I'm happy about. And like we said in the last podcast, we'll address whether he's the best for the offense in the offseason. And that's what the coaches will have to, to come to grips with. And if he is improving his play enough to be the starter next year. But for right now, <laughs> he got us to a bowl. And the fight that he shows, we've always admired. So... I, I couldn't be happier and more proud of the team as a whole. Like I am really impressed and proud of the resiliency of this team because they were dead in the water. Everyone was talking shit, including us. 
and they proved us wrong against UVA. And uh, we warmed up a little bit last week, but I, I still, I you know, I picked Marshall against the spread anyway. And I, you know, I just thought we still haven't shown enough. Well, guess what? They proved me wrong again, and I'm happy to be wrong. <laughs> I will say the run game was it started all right with Stephen Peoples, 14 carries for 78 yards. But as we always do, we start to go from Peoples into kind of a mix of. Holston or Grimsley and or Grimsley and McLeese and um, and to your point kind of taking your foot off the gas McLeese had eight carries for 10 yards Um, so uh, that transition didn't work out as well when we start to kind of move and I I haven't figured out that whole thing yet Um, I know we've been you know, bitching about it it seems like for years in terms of this quarterback rotation I think my the Where I'm starting rotation, to, yeah. I'm sorry, running back rotation. Where I'm starting to come out is like, it's not a rotation. It's throughout the game. We start with one, we move to the second, we go to the third, etc. A running back rotation is really when on first and second down, you have your guy. On third down, you have somebody else. You know, you're you're kind of doing that, that, that change. But McLeese didn't, I don't think, even came out on the field until the second half. We all saw what happened in the second half, and it just wasn't nearly as productive. So I haven't figured out that whole situation yet, but we got to, we got to, we need to have an arrow in our quiver on that side of the ball um, in terms of running it. I want to see more McLeese. I think he's the most dynamic back we have. I think hopefully whoever's coming in next year or whoever we're switching to that position going forward at running back will be more dynamic and can make more guys miss and can stay on his feet and won't fumble the football and can block, you know, the, these are the things that you need in a Fuente offense. And I am, uh, I'm hoping that the talent improves. We'll see, but yeah, the, the running back rotation, it's been, it's been a Virginia tech theme since the days of Shane Beamer being yeah. a running backs coach beer break. And then final thoughts. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that works well. We're gonna keep this one as short as we can. What are you drinking, man? So this was a uh, a beer from you that you got me. It's the uh, Moon Juice Galactic IPA from Santan Brewing Company out of Arizona. It's um, an out of this world IPA. Hence the Moon Juice. These guys are just—they're too clever. I can't keep up with it. I mean, it's it's that good. Uh, apricot and tropical fruit, uh, some peach in there, and I get all of it. It's actually very good. It's been sitting in my fridge a little bit longer than I probably would have uh, hoped for, but we've been traveling. There's holidays. There's a lot of stuff going on, but I still pick up uh, a lot of the fruitiness from it, and it's a uh, it's a good IPA. I like it, and I appreciate you uh, you passing it over. Nice. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I am drinking the Sly Fox Christmas Ale. Probably had this on the podcast in years past, but I love this beer. It's one of my favorite Christmas beers every year. It's a very light ale, but it still has all the flavors you'd expect from a Christmas. It's got the ginger and the cinnamon, allspice, nutmeg, cloves. And then the thing I like most about the Sly Fox Christmas Ale is the can because on the can they put a to from label like you'd get on a Christmas gift. So you can just write someone's name in Sharpie right on the side of the can and give it to them as a present, which is great. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> so it's going to be a, a, 
a cheap gift giving season for, yeah man uh, I'm, for you. I'm, i got about 12 pack i'm done with my family right <laughs> now the christmas sale it, this is we were talking about them before uh when you had one like i guess a week or two ago and i just bought a few and i'm dipping my toe in man i'm not looking back we're we're in early throws of december here it's it's christmas season So the last couple notes I had finished 69th in the S and P plus, <laughs> nice, nice. 48th in offense, 79th in defense. Uh, the 48th in offense, I think that's notable only because it was top 50. <laughs> and well, imagine if we put out another top 10 defense uh, like we normally do. Um, and S and P, I think we were top 10 defense last year in S and P. I'm pretty sure. That we came yeah, in. Yeah, I think so. Now imagine balancing that with a 49th ranked offense. That puts you clearly in the top 20 in the country by far. Yeah, it would have been a lot better if our defense wasn't 79th. At the In our preview, I said um, top 50 would be a good goal. And so we met that goal. I did not expect the defense to be as bad as they were. And because the defense was so bad, it might have even improve the offense's rating because we had to play more offense i don't i don't really know i don't i actually don't know if that's true but in my head that seems kind of true so well let me give you let me give you one thing that did bill did say and you probably heard it the other day on papn was he got a question just bill is in charge of the snp plus he was the inventor of it and it's his stat profiles so he got a question that said what happens for people that have to play more games than others so he said it has no bearing because his is all about efficiency. Their 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 statistical um, percentage based performance stats, not total yardage stats. Nothing is based on total yardage, total points, total anything. It's percent of what you do when you get opportunities to do it, whether it's in the red zone or what your field position is, etc. And your field position, whether you play twenty games or you play five games is going to kind of have a number that's associated with it and your efficiency from there. So if the offense is more on the field more um, because the defense is really bad, I, I would love to throw that question into Bill and see well, what in he theory, would say. Well, in theory, it shouldn't have any impact, right? In theory. Yeah. But you can't, you can't measure what kind of stress or yeah. not like – stress it puts on an offense when you're up by a lot down by a lot that's in inside your own five you know it's uh it's it'd be interesting but hey i'll take the top 50 rating and offense it it wasn't always pretty but you know they did end up kind of carrying us for a couple games they they really did 70th in the massey composite and 61st in sagrin so we finished pretty much right down the middle of fbs I guess when you're six and six, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Playing Cincinnati, who is ten and two in the bowl game, they're thirty second in S and P plus, nineteenth ranked defense. So I'm not sure. Again, we're playing a tough defense. We thought Marshall was going to be a really tough defense, and we tore them up for a half. What are we going to see from Cincinnati? It's hard to tell when you. I mean, Cincinnati hasn't played much of anyone either. So. I, this is where I do start to think that they, these numbers start to get screwed up because Cincinnati has to play Memphis, UCF. Who else is it? Temple? Temple. Who, uh, 
they're playing like, and I think there's somebody else that's in there that's like a high-powered offense. I want to check because I don't know even know if they played Memphis this year, but I'm going to check right now. Okay. So, and but first of all, you know, the enemy of your enemy does take place in Bill's stats where what they do to somebody else, because Memphis and UCF definitely played and they played twice. So even if they played one of those two teams, it still has an impact. So I start to wonder if that, I don't know, that 19th ranking seems suspect. And I just wonder if it's like they blew everybody out, you know, because they have a good offense versus, you know, what would happen if they played in the ACC Coastal? What would happen if they played in the ACC in general? What would happen if they played BC, you know, 12 times in a row? Yeah, I don't, that's tough when you start to go down that road. And we just saw that the statistical profile of Marshall was extremely good on defense, better than Cincinnati even. And it, when the game started, it, it wasn't there, you know? Yeah. And, and as we've emphasized, like our offense isn't like fantastic. And to come out like that, I mean, maybe we just had it on Saturday, but to me that lends itself to like, okay, those numbers weren't for real. Cincinnati did not play Memphis. Their two losses were to Temple and UCF, both on the road. So no, no shame in really either of those losses. And they killed East Carolina. They killed Navy, killed UConn. But that, that's not, UConn sucked this year. Of. Navy yeah. sucked this year. <laughs> I mean, it's... Their best wins are South Florida and Ohio. They beat Ohio by four. They beat South Florida by 12, uh, both of which were at home. So no great wins, no bad losses. It, they're so that 10 and two, which is a great record for them. It's, it's kind of hard to know. We're going to do a full Cincinnati preview uh, before the bowl game sometime in mid December. We'll, we'll put that out, but we wanted to just talk a little bit about the, just our first impressions coached by Luke fickle. That's an old Ohio state guy, right? He was yep. the interim coach when uh, uh, Trestle got after fired, Trestle right? got ousted. Yeah. Which and now, and Urban, now they're looking Urban's for gone. <laughs> and now they got another new coach. Yeah, we didn't even mention Urban uh, earlier in our coaching carousel. It wasn't ACC pertinent, but Ryan Day gets the promotion there. Yeah, and so uh, on the bowl game, the only thing I would finish with, and we'll do the preview, was I was kind of hoping, just in a sick way, that it was going to be Memphis. Like I just kind of wished it was. Yeah, I I, I think we would have got dismantled by that offense. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, we may have put up tons of points on their on their defense, um, similar to what UCF did. But I I kind of wanted to see it. It just would have been really good, and it would have got like a lot of publicity, and just would have been kind of fun. But we got Cincinnati instead. I'm glad we're playing Cincinnati from a potential to win perspective. I, if you lined up, so the choices were like Cincy, Memphis, Temple. Those were like some of the the ones that were being talked about most. And Memphis was last. Like I, they, I, I like the idea from people paying attention to it because it's Fuente versus old team and a little bit more of an exciting matchup. But from just what are our odds of winning, they were last on my list. Cincinnati probably second. I think I would have rather played Temple. Uh, I think it would have been kind of a fun game and just because we already played Cincinnati in the same bowl a couple years ago. But the matchup in terms of their strength, their D being better than their 74th ranked O in the S&P Plus, I think that is helpful for us. 
Oh yeah, I agree. I, mine was more like the Batman. I want some people just want to see the world burn kind of situation. Like that's why I was hoping for the Memphis, just so I could. I mean, it's been a tough season. I need like you know we're going for small victories here, and that would have been kind of just fun to watch. So, but I agree with you from a matchup standpoint. I absolutely want Cincinnati over Memphis. I mean, you watched? Did you? If you watched the first Memphis UCF game and then the second one. Yeah, I mean, Memphis was blowing UCF out of the water, and then they s the bed, and it, it didn't end up working out as well. But they looked really good in that first half. So I totally agree. From Virginia Tech winning standpoint, I definitely would rather have Cincinnati. I don't know where Temple falls in, you know, to that whole hierarchy for me. Well, I think that's going to do it for this podcast because we do want to cover the bowl game in full and a bowl game preview. We'll talk a little bit more basketball in that as well because that'll probably be after the Washington game. Robbie and I are going to take a much-needed week off. It's been week after week for, like, we started in August, so it's been like 18 weeks or something. Yeah. Uh, it's been a lot. You just started a new job. Another new um, job. Another of, new uh, job. <laughs> out of the blue. Uh, that was unexpected. So, um, I. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty worn out. I gotta be honest. Sorry for anybody and, that's noticed us being a little bit more tired, but it's been a it's been a long season. And and think about what the football team did to us this year. I mean, I feel like a dish rag after this after the last <laughs> like six seven weeks. Man, we went we went down there to Miami, got our asses kicked, got our asses kicked by Pitt. Somehow, some way, beat UVA. And then get a replacement game and win that too. And we get to go to a, the military bowl where it's basically going to be a home crowd. I mean, this was, you couldn't have written a better like movie script for like a comeback than what just happened after that Miami game. Yeah. You know, I, it's, it's unbelievable that they got to a bowl and that it's a, a bowl that most of us can drive to. It's awesome. I love it. So, uh, I don't, I'm not sure I'm going to be there, um, around that time of year, but I'm going to try. I know you're going. So, uh, in any case, Pete will be there and I will, uh, see if I can make the trip, um, and, uh, and be there as well. Yeah. I got the parking pass. So we'll get down there early, hopefully and do the tailgate, uh, maybe crock pot full of meatballs, something like that. It'll, it'll be good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already thinking about the food. Yeah. All right, you can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT, 2DVT at gmail.com if you need to send us anything. It's at 2DVT on Instagram as well. Our website, 2DVT.com. Robbie's going to be putting the stats on there and updating our beers as well. And I think that's it. Subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. We would very much appreciate it. Thank you for everyone who listened to us all year. It's like we said, it's been a tough year with a great ending. And if you're listening to us now, we very much appreciate it. That's for sure. And until next time, go Hokies.